Well, as you're sitting down, what are you going to grab a hold of? All right, grab hold of your Bible, your iPad. Um, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, this is our last Sunday in our uh, He Will Reign. Uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2 kind of series we've done for the month of December here. Uh, I want to let you know kind of also what's coming up. Um, for the month of January, this is going to be a special month for you. Um, you're going to be having four special guests come and speak on Sundays, and I want to let you know what's going on. First, we are having our own pastor, Cody, is going to be speaking next Sunday. Yeah. And then the next Sunday is our own pastor, Eric, is coming in. And then the third Sunday, a special guest, uh, Buddy Riddle, Buddy and Maureen, uh, Karen and I have known for a lot of years now, even before either of us were a part of Harvest. Buddy was a senior pastor of Harvest in Houston. Um, Buddy is now up in Chicago area and working with Harvest in their soul care and training for all the campuses up in Chicago area. Buddy is just an amazing guy. He uh, was a police officer. He served uh, multiple tours over in Iraq as well. Um, in fact, he was uh, uh, hit in his, hum- his Humvee was hit and uh, he almost died. And uh, in fact, he has a couple of hearing aids as a result of the impact of that. And Buddy's a special guy and he has that Southern accent. You will love Buddy. Um, also, then the fourth Sunday, Rob Basosa. Rob has been a special friend for about 20 years. Rob is a mountain man, uh, and I mean that literally. He uh, heads up 12 Stones Ministries down in the Bloomington area for helping people in uh, kind of emergency triage uh, needs and situations. And Rob is going to be coming and speaking the end of January. I'm excited for that. Now, why is this? Uh, well, because I'm going to Florida. No. Um, actually, the end of the month of January, we will be for a conference, but... Um, actually, the elders have allowed me to be able to uh, take some time, significant time in January to get after my doctoral chapter one, chapter two, uh, uh, to be frank with you. But I'm grateful for that. And so for me, this month is going to be very much off and working on my uh, thesis project and trying to really get that up and running and uh, some rough draft on the first couple chapters. So you kind of know what's going on there. Also then in February, I'm going to be back uh, filling the pulpit, if you will. And we are going to jump into a series through the book of Joshua. Uh, Enter, the Lord is with you. It was actually three years ago, uh, for those who were here then, that we had gone through and uh, started in Exodus 1 and went through, I think, Exodus 20 and then jumped to Exodus 40 and did the series, if you will, through Exodus. And for me personally, it has been one of my favorite series um, in the years that we've been here. And we are going to pick up the story. And we're going to pick up the story with Joshua and God's people and as they head to the land of the milk and honey. And uh, we're going to enjoy that together. So that kind of gives you a little bit of terrain on what's coming up in January as well as February. Okay? Excited? Yeah, uh-huh. All right, Bible's the Luke chapter 2, right? I want to start with a question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What are you yearning for? Expectantly waiting. Uh, let me ask it this way. In 2012, as you look back, what were some things that you were longing for? 
yearning for, waiting for. And it can be a variety of things. Finishing another year of school, graduating from school, uh, uh, some big event, having a new home or apartment, having a new job or a new position that you've taken on or a new car, a new bicycle, uh, whatever it might be, uh, getting engaged or married, having a child, maybe seeing a relationship, yearning for a relationship to improve. Uh, maybe it's this last year coming to relationship to Jesus Christ. Um, we've got those stories in this room. Or maybe it's growing in Christ or finding a church. I just want to kind of have you think, as you look back, what were you yearning for? I want to take it to 2013 here. Obviously, as we're about to start 13, and I want to ask this in a kind of a little bit different way. What is going to be the big defining thing for you this coming year? I mean, what's going to be the big defining thing that you wait for, that you anticipate, that you are on the edge of your seat about? What's that going to be? statement here. You choose what defines your life. You choose what defines your life. And what you choose is what you worship. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to take a look at three peoples, uh, actually two individuals and then a people group. Uh, Let's do that and just enjoy this time together. The first one is Simeon. Let's pick up chapter 2, verse 22. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him, baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. We'll come back to this. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is something that we have no comprehension of in our culture. And this is a stunning, um, honestly, what we're about to talk about is one of the favorite things out of this whole text here that I love. And I want to take a couple minutes on this. Um, This is called the redemption of the firstborn. The redemption of the firstborn. And what would happen is, is the firstborn male child that was delivered normally and and not a Levite, and all that comes out of Leviticus chapter 12. Okay, so the first male child had an adorable delivery and was not a Levite of a Levite family. 40 days after the birth, they would take the child to the temple. Now, uh, undergirding all of this is this principle that's all throughout the Old Testament that God had put into place is the principle of the, uh, of the first belong to God. You have to understand this. Uh, God has this idea that he's taught his people, especially through the Old Testament. I'm taking it there because we're jumping in beginning of the New Testament. All through the Old Testament, that, that the first belongs to God. Well, that's a big principle right there, by the way. And I don't think that's just an Old Testament principle. That's an ongoing principle. The first belongs to the Lord. And what would happen is, is that was such a big thing that God even put through this process to to illustrate it in just a beautiful way. So here's what would happen. Uh, The father would announce to a member of the priestly family there at the temple that this is my firstborn, okay? And there's this kind of ceremonial process. So he would announce that's what would happen. Then the father would be asked 
if he would like to give up their firstborn son for service to the temple or whether they want to redeem their son back to them. Do you get the understanding on this? The, the concept of it is, is it's the firstborn, it, it's, it's theirs first. I mean, parents, can you imagine that? 40 days after you've had your little baby boy and you're going there, it's like, no, that's mine. That's my baby. No, but here it's this picture of it's like, listen, actually first is unto the Lord. And and this is literally to the firstborn son in the process. And so there you are as a dad before the temple and doing this. And and then you're asked back, do do you want to offer your son as the firstborn unto the temple, which is assumed that would kind of be the case in the process. But it would always be that, no, I want to redeem the son back to us. And that's what the turtle doves were for. And so the sacrifice would be taken and the father would recite a benediction and offer the sacrifice. And here you see in the text, it's two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Uh, That's an interesting fact. Because actually, if you were to go to Leviticus, you would find out that the normal sacrifice is a lamb. But those who are very poor could either do two turtle doves or a young pigeon. What does that tell us? It tells us what we've kind of been talking about the last, especially the last Sunday, is that this is a poor family. I mean, the creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, born into a dirt poor family, not what I would think he would do. But remember, this coming of the second person of the Trinity is all about a sacrificial walking to the cross for the redemption of sin. Oh, oh, the magnificent riding on the horse with the flaming eyes. That will happen. But this isn't the time. And so here is this, uh, the parents are buying back their son. Uh, The word was redeeming back. Uh, Do you see what's happening here? The redeemer is being redeemed back in this family. Oh, there's so much depth picture of who the Godhead is and what God is all about. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's what's happening here in these first verses. Let's go to verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was what? Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. (laughs) I get stunned when statements are like that about people in scripture. I mean, of all the things that they could say, what would they say about me? (laughs) Maybe it would just be that, ha, 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 ha. If you wonder that, what what would be the thing that would be declared down as to what characterizes you? By the way, this very much reminds us of Zechariah in chapter 1. This was the kind of statement made of Zechariah. Uh, uh, Folks, you, you, you have to be kind of stunned by this and realize that Simeon, obviously, if the Lord would declare this guy a righteous and devout man, he was. He was. This was a godly, godly man. He was righteous and devout. And look at the next statement. He was righteous and devout waiting for. That word waiting carries this idea of longing for. Great anticipation, great expectation for. It's not the kind of thing where you're just sitting there and it's like, yeah, it'll come when it comes. That's not what this is talking about. This is on the edge of your seat. 
And it's like, I'm having a hard time not being fidgety because I can't wait. That's what's described here. A righteous, devout, on the edge of his seat. Oh man, I can't wait for this. Wait for what? Well, look at the text. Wait for the consolation of Israel. Uh, by the way, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Three things about Simeon. One, he was righteous and devout. Two, he was waiting for, looking for, anticipating for. He was looking for the fulfillment of the messianic hope. Uh, in fact, back in the day, at this time, there was a, a, a traditional prayer that said, may I see the consolation of Israel? It's, I, I want to see the next step. Uh, we'll come back to that in just a second. One of the other things that stated is the Holy Spirit was upon him. No, upon means uh, upon. Uh, it's not like just like hanging around. If I were to come out and I were to have Josh come out and say, Josh, jump on my back. Uh, upon. That's like all over. Hanging on, by the way. person, when they come to Christ, when they drive the stake in the ground and receive Christ as your Savior, know this. The Spirit is like upon you. Not at a distance. Not just like somewhere, not just like, you know, it gives like this little, oh, you're cute. It's upon, a big word there in what happens. That, that's Simeon. Uh, notice as we go along here, by the way, this is now the fourth person where this terminology of the spirit of God is upon this person is stated in these first two chapters. First was Zechariah, then Mary, and then Elizabeth. And we could even include in that reality that baby John was filled with the Spirit even from birth. And now here we have this terminology that here Simeon is this as well. And what do we see the outcome of all this? We're going to see just a minute, just like with all the others. We, we, we don't see a bunch of funky stuff going on necessarily. What we see here is now they have this spiritual insight that is way beyond themselves. They have this spiritual understanding that speaks Spiritual understanding that speaks God truth. That's what spirit-filled people are about. Spirit-filled people are about seeing life from a God's perspective. Why? Because the spirit of God is upon you. That's who's helping you. It's not you. It's the spirit of God working in you. Very important in these first couple chapters. So what was Simeon waiting for? What was he yearning for? What was he longing for? Well, consolation of Israel. I'll call it this way. God's redemptive plans to continue to unfold. I'll put it this way. Simeon was waiting for God's redemptive plans to take place right before his face. That's what he wanted. What God had said he was going to do in the Old Testament, Simeon was waiting for that to take place. The knowledge that Simeon had of what God had declared, that's what's on my bucket list. That's the thing that's the big deal for him. Now, uh, do know this. Uh, uh, Simeon was, uh, I'm just going to say, well, let's just assume Simeon is married. Simeon has a family. Simeon has a job. Simeon has life stuff going on. Uh, Simeon has interests. He's got big events going on. All kinds of things are happening. There's lots of things I'm sure that he was waiting for and excited about and jumped in. But what's the big defining thing? You see, that's, that's not living moment to moment to moment. You know, when, when, when I get the job promotion, phew, then I'll be happy and content. When I get past the debt, whew, 
then I'll be happy. When I get the new car, when I get this, then I'll be happy and content. Are you tired of living that game yet? Because we all know it. And it's not that we don't look forward to that. I'm not trying to put a damper on any of that. What's really going on, though, is, is what's the big thing? What is the defining thing about you that you honestly, truly, before God, really are all about? What is it? For real. For Simeon. Righteous, devout, and he could not wait for God to do his next redeeming work before his very eyes. I want that. Do you want that? That's waiting for it. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Whoa, that's cool. I don't know why Simeon. I don't know. God's sovereignty just... How did he know? I don't know. But he knew. Wouldn't that be awesome? You're going to see this happen before you die. Sweet! I'm all about that. Another cool statement, the last three words of that verse. The Lord's Christ. It's quite a unique statement. It's really this idea, again, Christ is, is a title. It's the Lord's Messiah. It's not a fake Messiah. It's not a false Messiah because there were those in days. This is God's Messiah. This is the one. You are going, Simon, Simeon, to see the Lord's Christ before you die. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that's the redemption of the firstborn, <laughs> Simeon, he takes him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Question, how did he know? I mean, did little baby Jesus come in with one of those little onesies that says like, I am the Messiah. Is that how it happened? No. And please do not get an infant that one. <laughs> okay. Um, this is the Spirit of God allowing him to know. This is just so sweet. But this is a devout, faithful, righteous man that's been waiting for this, waiting for, for how long? Has it been a week? Has it been months? Has it been years? Has it been decades? But he's like there waiting for this. And then he comes to know this is the one that who he is and he blesses the Lord. And Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. That's a cool statement because the word depart uh, being that you will see the Messiah before you die. The word word depart was used back in that day when they would tie a sailboat up to the dock and they would tie it up to the dock and this word was used when they would untie it and let it go off so what he's really saying here is god i've been tied to this dock <laughs> this earth for all this time now because i've seen the messiah i can it can be untied and i'm sailing off into the sunset that's beautiful Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Not, not just a concept. 
It's not just that you've enlightened me to understand something or I've got this sense of. No, no, no. For my eyes have seen your, your salvation, and these next four words are cool, that you have prepared. But do know this, that the Messiah coming is not a man work, it's a God work. This is all something that has been prepared. I think Simeon is one of these guys. He, because of the spirit of God and, and, and his knowing scripture, he's seeing the whole big picture. You have prepared all this in the presence of all peoples. Verse 32, this is an important line. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Uh, that, um, Later on, another time when we kind of get into the whole picture of how things move, part of what ends up happening, part of the problem with the Gospels is that the leaders in Israel have lost sight. They think it's all about them. They've lost sight that they're to be a kingdom of priests to the world. And before Jesus is even like an adult speaking anything, here he is 40 days after his birth, and it's like this is the one that is going to be bringing the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. He's excited, isn't he? Verse 33. And his father and mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said to him, what was said about him, Jesus. That's an interesting game. I Honestly, I don't quite know what it means. And I don't quite know what it means specifically. I know it in the word marveled, it has this idea of they were pondering. And it, by the way, it's a continuous feel to it. And so all through whatever Simeon is doing this whole time, grabbing the baby, it's like, give me back my baby. I don't know what's going on. And he's like, this is the baby. This is the thing. And they're all that whole time, they're like, whoa. And it contains this idea of I'm trying to take the information that's being laid out for me and I'm trying to put it together to make sense. But yet I asked the question, but they knew who this was. I mean, Gabriel, we had just seen in the last weeks, had showed up and Mary knew who this was. Joseph knew who this was. I'm not quite sure what they were marveling. Maybe it's just one more of those times where it's like, can you believe this, Joe? This is incredible. Mary. Us. This is weird. (laughs) Whatever that meant, they marveled. Verse 34. And this is beautiful. And Simeon blessed them. So that's something when you have when you have your new first child and here's a situation, you don't even know someone and they come and up to you and they just speak beautiful words. It's very special. Simeon blesses them and, and listen and said to Mary, his mother, behold, Mary, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel oh, I wasn't quite expecting that. And for a sign that is opposed, parentheses, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. By the way, the word that's used here for soul, it's not, or I'm sorry, for sword, it's not talking about like a little carving knife. It's actually a word that's used to describe like a big giant Goliath-sized sword. Mary, there's gonna be a giant Goliath-sized sword and it's going to pierce you. And the word for piercing isn't just once. It's an idea of ongoing. You imagine this. Here you are, a new mom. And then this guy's telling you, Mary, you're going to know some real life hurts because of this boy. 
whoa, somber moment. Somber moment at the time. And he finishes, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Uh, Let me just sum it up this way. There is no neutral ground with Jesus Christ. There is no neutral ground with Jesus Christ. This is not a, uh, Mary, this boy's gonna, he's gonna encourage some people. No, no, no. Mary, this baby, he's gonna rock the world. And there are either those who are gonna receive him or those who are gonna reject him. There's no in between in this. And Mary, this is gonna rock your world. Deep, deep statements. Well, that's Simeon waiting, waiting for God's purposes and work to unfold before his very eyes. Let's go to the next person, Anna, verse 36 and 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna. Now, if you're new to the scriptures, the word prophet, you hear that and you think, oh, Anna's predicting the future. Not necessarily. Most likely here, that's not what that's talking about. Uh, This terminology was used for someone that would be able to speak for God. They would speak God truth. Uh, I mean, if you wanted to go at that time and be able to hear from someone, what does the Lord have to say about it? Anna was the kind of person you would go to. Oh, cool. Way to go, Anna. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. What a kind way to say old. (laughs) having lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. What that means is that she got married. We don't know what age. But she got married probably in her latter teens and was married for seven years and then her husband died and she became a widow. Anna knew hurt. Um, Anna apparently does not remarry. From what we're about to read here in just a second, it's very possible to have the idea that Anna did not have children either. Anna knew hurt. 55, maybe 60 years, a widow. What do you do with your life then? What are you going to invest your life in then? Watch this gal. And there was a widow until she was 84. She's 84 years old. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna means grace. And here she is, 84-year-old. Hey, Anna, what are you doing with your life? Well, for about the last 55 years of my life as a widow... I've been on the temple ground area. And the idea contained within the text here is that I've been serving God by worshiping through fasting and prayer. And so likely it was that she was involved in helping with some of the various things, whether it's cleaning up or whatever. You know, this is the kind of thing sometimes that you look at and you go, really, that's all you did with your life? It's kind of like earlier we sang about heaven and how awesome heaven is. And sometimes if you were, let's just be transparent. Have you ever thought like in heaven, we're going to be there forever. Like, isn't that going to get boring at some point in time? I mean, those guys going, holy, 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 night and day. Doesn't that get tiring? I mean, aren't they like, holy, holy, holy. Oh, crud, I want to break. That's kind of sometimes how we kind of think of that. And it's like, here's Anna. Oh, this poor sap woman. 
She's widowed. I feel so sorry for her. And she's stuck in the temple for the rest of her life. I think if Anna were here, she would stop that conversation in a moment. Because actually, Anna, if you will, could have gone anywhere. I think this is the reality in the way that we see the flow of this text, that Anna's like, you know what? I'm widowed. Oh, my word. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know what? I want to place myself where God's at. And I want to worship him with the rest of my life. I want to serve him with the rest of my life. Hey, those of us who have uh, some years on us, uh, may I say here is this 84-year-old woman kicking it out, having impact for the Lord. We have some bad theology that's been driven by our culture, not by scripture, and that's this. When you hit 60, you begin pulling back on the throttle. When you hit 65, you retire and you pull back on the throttle and now you can do whatever you want in life. You can just go and you can kick it out and you can just, you know, really? That's what the scripture says? Not. Here's an 84-year-old woman, a widow, Way to go, girl. She's accelerating to the finish line to meet the Lord. That's the way it should be, you guys. That's the way it should be. Accelerating to the finish line. She's sprinting it out, 84 years old. Fasting and praying in that place. Verse 37, and then as a widow until she was 84... She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour. I have to pause with that because uh, through Luke's chapter 1 and Luke 1 and 2, we've seen numerous times now where chapter 1, verse 57, now the time came, and that's when John was about to be born. Chapter 2, verse 6, at that time, that's when Jesus was born. And here we have one more of these statements that Luke makes at that very hour, at that hour. God has the details all in check. God knows exactly what's going on, and he's bringing it all at what hour? At the Simeon hour. Right at that time, God brings Simeon, who, who in this point of time has been a devout, righteous man, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Spirit of God tells him, Simeon, how that happened, I have no idea. But somehow, Simeon, it's like, Simeon, dude, listen, you're going to see the Messiah before you cast off into the sunset. And he's like, awesome. And then one day, he's like, I need to go to the temple. This is the day I go to the temple. He didn't live on the temple, but this is the day he goes to the temple. He sees baby Jesus, woo, cast it off. <laughs> because I've seen it now, at that hour, Anna happened to be there. And here's Anna in this, and what does she do? At that hour, she begins to give thanks to God and speak of him. That's what spirit-filled people do. That's what devout, faithful, waiting for the consolation kind of people do. They thank God. They, they are around the kind of places where God's stuff's going to happen. And when it happens... They acknowledge it. They note it. Friends, I don't think we do that enough. We just see life and it's kind of like, oh, that worked out into the next thing. Wait a second. Did God bring that together? How about taking a moment and just rejoicing that God did a work right now in this? And then she didn't just hold it in her own heart, but she spoke it. She told other people about it. We need to do more of that. Simeon waited. Anna worshiped. What you wait for is what you worship. 
Let's go to the third. All who were. There's no name. It's just all who were. Look at this, verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, Anna began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were. To all who were waiting. That's the exact same word that was used of Simeon. All who were waiting for the redemption of, of Jerusalem. So I don't know if this is five people or, or 25 people or 50 or 500 people, but there were people that were there that were waiting. Waiting for what? Like, were they bored? No, they're like longing, earnestly expecting. I, I, I'm just gonna say, this is, I think, I don't know. I think these are people who, who, who God, uh, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God of the Old Testament, have put the dots together. We talked uh, some weeks ago about the geocaching coordinates of God through the prophetic uh, messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. I think they're putting all this together and it's like, it could be, it could be the one before the one's coming. Now's the time, now's the time. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And by the way, I'm gonna wait with people who wanna wait for that. I wanna hang with those kind of people. I wanna hang with waiting for God to do a work kind of people. That's what they're doing. And so Anna speaks, and there's all these people are waiting for the redemption of Israel. It's interesting. It's a different statement than the consolation of Israel. Uh, Matthew 15, 43, it says of Joseph of Arimathea that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Acts 2, 24, uh, talks about how Paul is, talks about hoping and a hoping that we await, and it's a future resurrection. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, about waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, I've got a question for 2013. Is a big defining thing on your life, on the edge of your seat, to where you're like, he's coming, man. Dead dog serious. He's coming, man. And it could be next year. Imagine how that would change how you live. If you were dead dog serious about it. And they're waiting for this. Waiting for the next step in God's redemptive work. Waiting for God to do a work in them, around them, and right in front of them. They were informed and waiting. Where does God work? Where does God work? If I want to put myself around where God works, where does God work? Answer. People. You know, we're very functional people, us Westerners. We're very bullet point, outline at people. We oftentimes think it's God's in the circumstances. He is. But what are the circumstances about? The the circumstances are about people. God doing a work in people. And and one of the things here just sticks out to me is is in this whole waiting reality, all all the awesome stuff that's taking place happens with people. If you isolate yourself and have this image that me and God, it's just a me and God thing, you know, us in our little closet, me and alone. Listen, you do not understand how God sees him working amongst uh, people. You will not have an impact. 
You won't. You have to be engaged with people. And it can be people at work, it can be people at home, and it can be people at church. I'm talking about all of those, but in the, uh, there's also this component of it. It's like, are you placing yourself around other waiting people? These kind of people? All who were people? I mean, people who are like, oh, I'm a sinner. Uh, I don't have it made. Let, let's cut the, you know, like the we're all awesome, okay? And let's just cut that game and like, let's play the real game. And the fact is I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. All fall short. We all have mess ups going on in our life and we're all growing and changing. I want to be around people who know that and are like, I want to get in further for the Lord. And I want to see God do a work in front of me. I just don't want, I want to mature past the idea that God is here for my bidding. You know, God, I pray to you that you give, give, give me the bigger, the Christmas present that I want. Come on, let's mature past that. And let's get in the whole thing of, God, I want to be around your bidding. I want to watch you do a work. Oh, God, would you do a work? That's how we want to be. We want to be around those people. Do you? Where you place yourself is critical. Absolutely critical. Where are you placing yourself? Are you placing yourself around people? Are you placing yourself around people that want to engage in the waiting? If you haven't been, I call you. This is the year. It has to change. What I am waiting for is what I hope for. What I am waiting for is what I hope for. Told the first service, if I knew what Karen was going to buy me for Christmas. I'm telling you, I would have used that illustration because if I knew in advance of what she was going to get me, I would have been waiting anticipation because she got me this really cool, I don't know why, this is the coolest present. It's a Colt shirt that has my high school number on it, number 40, and Helmer on the back. It is awesome. I know to you, it means nothing. But for me, I got that, and I was stunned by just all these emotions. And there's no 40 on the Colts, so I'm on. <laughs> so we got to leave here because the game's starting in a little bit. <laughs> no, But if, had I known that was coming, I would have been anticipating that. I didn't know. I didn't know, so I wasn't even thinking about it. It was just like, oh, another day. Do you know what's coming up ahead in God's next redemptive steps of his plan? You need to know. Because you know what? It's awesome. And you need to be on the edge of your seat. Because what you wait for is what you hope for. And do hope for the exciting events coming up in this year. Do hope for those. But do know those. If that's the thing, you are going to be greatly disappointed this year. Because when you get that next thing, then you're going to be on to the next thing. What you wait for is what you hope for. What you hope for is what you are living for.
or as I have it, what I hope for is what I am living for. What I hope for is what I arrange my life around. Just think back to this last year. What were you hoping for? I guarantee you, you organized your life to be able to do it. What I am living for is what I worship. What I am waiting for is what I hope for. What I hope for is what I am living for. And what I am living for is what I worship. Question. In 2013, in 12, this last year, frankly, what were you worshiping? What were you worshiping? And you can answer that by answering, what were you yearning for? So I want to pause for a minute. I just want to take some quiet time. So what are you going to wait for? Simeon, waiting for God to do a work in and around him. Anna, right where God wanted her to be, right at the place where God's going to do a work. What about you? What are you going to do? What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose to live expecting? What are you going to arrange your life around? What are you going to invest your time in? But I don't have time. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You arrange life around what you worship. I don't um, want for this to end up today to be kind of some trite little post-it note. I don't want for this to end up to kind of be the type of thing where it's like, uh, that was a sweet intention. person of the Trinity came and lived and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. 
if there's anyone here who doesn't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Father, I pray this morning they would get that answered. Lord, for those who have driven the stake in the ground with you and have received you as their Savior, oh God, I would ask that we would be pressed and pushed to be more like a Simeon, more like an Anna, to be increasingly like an all who were. Lord, that the, the, the energy drink that is in uh, running us inside our minds is a thing of you. That the big defining thing is, is waiting for you to do a work in us and you to do a work through us and you to do a work around us. And God, if we need to ex- re- change our life around, reorder our schedule, redo our priorities, oh God, we need to do that. Because if we don't, we don't mean it. Then it's all just words, words that end up fooling ourselves. We don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be foolish people. We want to be kicking it out, cranked up for you for real people in an increasing way. And we're not there. Oh my, none of us are there. Lord, whether we're young or whether we're old, may we long for you. May we place ourselves around people. And especially may we place ourselves around waiting people. God, thanks for your patience with us. Thanks for your grace and your forgiveness. And thank you that you want to do a work in and through us. May we choose you. May we choose to wait for you. You are amazing. In the Lord's name we pray.